I I realized I hadn't watched this movie in probably I'd say since the since the Denzel Washington remake came out. So it's probably so like been 2016. Five years. Yeah, it's been like five years, probably. How do you feel like it compares against the Denzel Washington one? Oh, this is way better. Um, <laughs> I I like the Denzel Washington remake, but this is way better. And for a number of different reasons, uh, some of which are definitely nostalgia based, mm-hmm. um, and some of which are just quality based. Right? I like. Is it Bill Sarsgaard? I think who plays the the villain in the remake, or Peter Sarsgaard? Mm-hmm. Peter yeah, Sarsgaard. That, I, think I think that's, that sounds right. Um, it's one of the Sarsgaards. It's yes. uh, one of them. Uh, but I think Eli Wallach is just a much better villain. Peter Sarsgaard is very like generic. He just feels like very generic, like mustache twirly kind of guy. Whereas mm-hmm. Eli Wallach's character Calvera in the the nineteen sixty version feels more like an actual character. And some of that is because they actually like build up why like they give him a reason for doing what he's doing, right? uh-huh. which I didn't really catch until I watched it this afternoon again. But when he talks about like when uh, when the kid when uh, Chico comes back from having basically spied in Calvary's camp, he's like, they have no food. They have nothing. They haven't eaten in two days. And you realize like, oh, this is a dude who's like desperate and at the end of his rope to help these people that he cares about. It, it, it adds, I think, a lot more depth to him as a character, which is, I really like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, and we'll probably do a lot of comparisons of the new and the old, but as a, as a villain, he, he does have a bit more depth because he is just installing this fear. And he's also like, I feel in there with the fight where Peter just was send my men, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 It kind of makes him a little bit more cowardly, I guess you could say in the, Uh the Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Welcome to yet another episode of The Movies That Move Us. I'm your host, Al Larson, and joining me today is my co-host, Quinn's Van Orden. Howdy. We are joined today by Austin Najar, who is a self-described cinephile and a Fast and the Furious apologist. Hey guys, how are you doing? Great. Doing great. Glad to have you on, on this show. Yeah, happy to be here. We're going to be discussing the movie... The Magnificent Seven, the original 1960 movie. Um, before we kind of get started, would you say that this is your favorite movie? No, it is not my favorite movie of all time. It is my favorite Western of all time. Favorite Western. Yeah. And just for the listeners who, have, who haven't yet watched this movie, which shame on you, um, here is the, the brief summary of it from IMDb. When a small village is once again attacked by the bandit Calvera, three Mexican farmers head north to try and buy guns. They ask Chris Adams to help them, but he suggests that they hire experienced gunmen instead. He soon recruits five others and eventually accept a sixth, who he had initially rejected, but made it impossible for him to say no. Together, they develop a plan to secure the town and defend it against Calvera's attack. In that time, friendships are formed, and love blossoms between one of the men and a beautiful local girl. All right. Is there any, nice. any part of that that you would want to expand on? Uh, no, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good summary um, of the, the plot as a whole. 
Uh, it's funny. I'm looking at the IMDb summary as you read that. I realized that you didn't finish it, which is probably a good thing to keep out of spoiler territory. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that people have probably, you know, it, it shouldn't be spoilery at this point for 50, no six shoot dude from 60 to, to now that's 61 years later. Yeah. I was going to say we're well past the, uh, we're well past the statute of limitations on spoilers. So I feel like if we spoil this movie, like, I'm sorry, guys, uh, you've had 60 oh, yeah. years to see it. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. And we think that it's probably necessary to kind of do some big spoilers. So don't, Definitely. don't feel bad about like holding back on anything in there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what we're going to talk about, I know, I think one of the things you mentioned we want to talk about is kind of some of the scenes that are really like impactful for me. And I, there's one that we have to talk about that I, that, you can't say without spoiling the movie that I can't get into. So okay. that's good to know going forward. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Do you remember when or where was like the first time that you saw this movie? Uh, when, no, where, yes. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but where would have been my living room of my parents' house. Um, Cause I remember, so my experience with Western movies started with my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather is a huge John Wayne fan. I remember watching John Wayne movies in my grandfather's house, most notably Big Jake. That was the one I remember watching the most. Mm-hmm. And it got me into Westerns. And so I remember either my mom or my dad, probably my dad, recommending we watch The Magnificent Seven. And I don't remember what you, how old I was at this point. I will say somewhere in the probably 10 to 12 range, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember my dad... Uh, most likely my dad being the one that recommended, hey, we should watch this movie. And that's the first time I saw it. Um, And I only remember that because it sticks out in my head. I don't know if my mom had seen it before or not, but it stuck out in my head that in the opening credits where it says starring Yul Brynner, Steve McQueen, and Eli Wallach is the first credit card, if that's what you call it, but the first like title card uh, Mm -hmm. says those three names. My, My mom says it sounds more like the Magnificent Three. Because obviously those are the three biggest names in the movie. Um, But that has always, you know, whatever it's been 20 years later, stuck in my mind. Um, And so there are movies I still love that I I go, I watch to this day and look at it and go, oh my God, yeah, uh, I know you from The Magnificent Seven, right? Like obviously the first time I saw Great Escape was later. And so seeing Steve McQueen and Charles Bronson and... James Coburn and going, yeah, I know you guys, you're in the, you're three of the Magnificent Seven or seeing even as recently as the holiday with Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet and seeing Eli Wallach as the old neighbor of Cameron Diaz that befriends Kate Winslet and going, oh my God, you're Calvera. <laughs> so oh, wow. Those kind of moments, right? Um, still stick with me to this day. I did not know that. Uh, I, I mean, I would have guessed, I was like, I wonder how many of these people were whitewashed and now I know. Uh, yeah, Eli Wallach, definitely not Hispanic. Uh, Horse Bullcolts, who plays Chico, also not Hispanic. But this also was my first, like I said, Steve McQueen and Charles Bronson. And I think they did fantastic, both of them. And I, I was talking to Al about uh, Yule Brenner. He just has like an iconic voice. I, I wish he would have done some like voice acting. You know, that would be interesting to see him do that. Yeah, well, I, and he passed away, I think, pretty early in life. I think... I want to say he passed away in like 80, 1980, something in that range. Mm-hmm. 1985. He passed away in 1985. And uh, Steve McQueen passed away in 1980. I couldn't remember which one was which. 
But yeah, I don't know if he did voice work or not, but you're right. He does have a very iconic voice, right? And one, he, and he played some very iconic roles in his career as well, right? Which obviously you talk about, you, you know, you make the joke about whitewashing. Yul Brynner is probably the original whitewashing, right? Yeah. He was, he was Ramsey in the 10 commandments and the and, king of Siam and the king and I in the yep. same year in 1956. So that's a, uh, you know, whitewashing was definitely a thing back then. Right. Obviously to an extent it's still a thing now in Hollywood, but yeah, it was definitely a thing back then. Um, thankfully they are getting better at it. I would agree. I would agree. And, uh, uh, Emma, what is it? Yeah. Emma Stone in Aloha to the yeah. contrary, right? Is that what the movie was? Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, that was bad. I didn't ever well, see Aloha, but I also didn't really hear great things about it to begin with, so I yeah, wasn't worried uh, about. No. <laughs> That's all well, I mean, I'll even Kevin that. Feige apologizes for uh, Tilda Swinton, or why can I not oh, say Tilda him? Swinton? Tilda, yeah, and just wish he didn't whitewash that character. They've done some good reparations within the the Marvel universe, just, you know, a, a few little small bits here and there. Cause I know a lot of people were super disappointed that Ben Kingsley played the Mandarin in Iron yeah. Man three, but they kind of have redeemed themselves with that when they did Shang-Chi where they actually yeah. show, well, Oh, here's I'd, is- I'd say the disappointment wasn't as much of Ben Kingsley playing the Mandarin. Although I think when everybody thought he was playing the Mandarin, it was like, why is a white guy playing the Mandarin? Well, for the same reason, that same white guy played, Mahatma Gandhi because he's amazing, but that's besides <laughs> the point. The the bigger frustration came in when everybody went into Iron Man three expecting the Mandarin and got whatever the heck that was. <laughs> and so I agree with you, Shark. She redeemed it, but I think it redeemed just the Mandarin as a character more so than the idea of Ben Kingsley supposedly being the Mandarin. So, but yeah, I agree. So you've already talked about your personal connection to this. Yeah, what has it changed in you? Well, is there a certain scene? Is there a certain moment that like, bam, I want to be like that person. I want to do something like this. There's one moment in the movie where Charles Bronson's character, Bernardo, is talking to those three boys that just kind of stick around him the whole time. Mm -hmm. And one of them mentions, one of them says, our fathers are cowards. And Bernardo basically just smacks the kid. And he was like, don't ever say that. Like, your fathers are amazing. Like, and just basically like, your fathers do something I could never, ever do. Like, they take responsibility for you. They protect you. They feed you. They take care of you. Like, all of those things. And like, basically being like, that's what it means to be. Like, basically like him trying to say like, your fathers are men. And they do something Mm -hmm. I could never, ever do. Right? I'm not a father. Right? (laughs) Quint, as you know. I am Um, the only father. (laughs) Yeah. And and so, but I also like, Quint, you've met my dad. Right. And you know, the respect I have for my father and how like important that is to me to be able to see that. So that always gets me anything that has to do with like fathers and sons in a movie will always get to me. And so Mm -hmm. that moment always, always gets me just because of that and that kind of connection I have with my dad from that perspective. I agree. That was a powerful speech, but him like hardcore spanking that kid that just like, oh, no. I know. I I saw that. I was like, uh, I was like, wait, you can, you can do that. I mean, I I think those kids were were beaten more than the actual people that were actually slapped or punched. (laughs) Probably Probably true. true. They were they were the second biggest casualties of the film. 
Oh yeah. Definitely. That and I know also do the time period all the horses and and the troubles that they had. I felt bad for those horses because now, you know, you see Django Unchained or even the new Harder They Fall, you know, you can definitely edit it to some extent where it's not real horses getting shot at or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I do have I have some like amazing respect for like the the horse work that they did in that, especially um, I believe it's Harry who's who's getting shot at near the end. And man, he they show these like he's getting shot at the horse comes down to the ground and then like immediately gets back up and like gallops off to another spot. And I was just super impressed, man. They had some really good training on that. And then there's another part where Chico goes and, and shoots a man and then takes his horse and rides off on it all in like one fluid motion. And it is freaking amazing to see that. Yeah. Well, and some of that's just the stunt work too in general, right? It's yeah. not just like the training of the horses, but the stunt work, especially for a 19, like some of the stunt work in there is good for the 2020s. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was 1960, mm-hmm. right? You have to assume they're filming that movie and. The night, technically, probably the night, you know, in 1959. Um, so yeah, I, mean, it's I, I think it's the same with the new one too. When Denzel rides on the side, like he trained for that thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So Charles Bronson, one of his scenes also hit me emotionally the most. And um, so when I was first watching it, at one point my internet was messed up and it freezed on like the perfect moment. So they had just found the women, and they, they told them all to come back, and the women made this nice dinner. I, I think Steve McQueen, you know, he was the funniest part of, of this whole movie in general, and he just sees the woman slapping the beans on the young kid's plate and yeah. not on his. Like, what the heck? Comically great. But then uh, Charles Bronson comes in, and they're like, hey, come eat. We got beans. We got everything. Spanish rice. And he's like, you know that they've only been eating a little bit of beans and tortillas. And mm-hmm. my, my phone froze right when their face reacted to that. Like, oh, crap. We have been just taking advantage of this nice town. And they've given us almost everything again. They've offered only all their money. And now they've offered all their food because they've never had really any good food to eat. They've been starving. And that just hit me because to be so thankful for what we already have right now. You know, this is the month of Thanksgiving of just what I do have and what I can provide for me and my kids and my wife. And so that just, that really hit me emotionally. This is probably the wrong place to put this, but because you brought up the scene, I got to tell the story. Um, I wanted to tell the story. We're talking about this. It's funny. I took, I had taken two years. I had taken Spanish in middle school in seventh and eighth grade. And it was not until I saw that movie like later on that I recognized even after two years of Spanish, that de nada is how you say you're welcome in Spanish. <laughs> and it was because of that scene in the movie that I knew that. <laughs> so somehow in two years of Spanish, never picked that up, but got it in that movie. Well, that's great. Power yeah. of movies. Go, exactly. go watch something, people. There you go. I, I think that it's interesting that they have that moment a little bit later on in the film, just because in like we we see Steve McQueen at the very beginning with with Chris as they are starting out their whole like I think that they have to show that the two of them are very altruistic. They don't necessarily need 
like a ton of like they're not necessarily motivated by money or riches or uh, fame or something else in in being able to join this cause. Um, I mean, you see from the very beginning that both of them are saying, "Hey, we are going to help this dead Indian get buried up at the top of the hill," and so they they have no connection to this dead Indian guy, but they just hop on the hearse and they're riding. They've got Steve McQueen riding shotgun and which by the way, this is the same movie where I learned what shotgun meant. Uh Oh, so they, they, they do these things that are very altruistic, but it still shows that some of them, uh, like since Steve McQueen is in both of these scenes that even though he is altruistic, sometimes you do need that extra reminder from somebody else to be like, Hey, I know that they are thankful for your, for you and that you don't have to be here, but let's also remember that, Hey, these people, they're, they're still sacrificing even more than, than you are. Yeah, I agree. Well, and, and and you get a a feel of that as well. And this is why I said you like, we're going to have to spoil this movie for me to talk about some of the stuff that's impactful. That scene, I don't think it's technically, I don't know if it's the final shot. I don't remember if it's the final shot, which I should remember if, I don't remember the order of how they filmed it, whether, or how they placed it, whether this was right before, um, whether the final shot is Chico coming back or whether it's this or whether that's flip, but it's that scene with the four gravestones, the four crosses and the Mm -hmm. kids put Bernardo's hat on his cross and the flowers on his grave. Um, but it's that same idea, right? That like these guys were willing to sacrifice everything for these people that were willing to sacrifice everything, mm-hmm. which is just amazing. I mean, that actually leads perfectly into one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about this, uh, the deaths. I mean, we have, it's the magnificent seven and it's, you know, it's not like the new Star Wars movie where everybody gets to walk away unscathed. It's um, they lose more than half of of these yep. guys. Um, do you feel like this movie could have been done without these main characters dying? Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say that if you wrote the movie as a standalone film. I think you could get away with it. But the fact that the movie is based on Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai and Akira Kurosawa, who I think even is it Jason Hedges? Is that the name of the director? I think is his name. Or no, uh, John Sturgis. The, yeah, John, John Sturgis. Sturgis. I was like, where did I get Jason Hedges? But I got close. But John Sturgis, <laughs> who directed the film, I think I think wanted to stay true to Kurosawa's vision, right? And I think even John Sturgis would admit Kurosawa was a better filmmaker than John Sturgis. John mm-hmm. Sturgis made two of the most iconic films of the sixties, right? He made this, and he made The Great Escape, but. Kurosawa made this. He made Jojimbo. He made like I mean, he made everything. Um, yeah. he, every like every classic Japanese samurai film is Akira Kurosawa, and his influence is <laughs> still felt today. Right, Kill Bill is essentially Quentin Tarantino's love letter to an Akira Kurosawa film. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, uh, getting back to my point, had Akira Kurosawa not seen fit to kill off four of his main seven samurai. Mm-hmm. Because Akira Kurosawa thought that that was the best way to go, you have to do it when you're remaking it, right? Uh, That being said, I think if you write this as a standalone film and it's not based on that, I think you can get away with it with all but two people. I think I would, well, I think three of the people that are there have to die. Um, 
I think Lee had to die. I think Harry had to die, and I think Bernardo had to die. I think you could have gotten rid, gotten away with not killing Brett, James Coburn's character, mm-hmm. but because Lee was, you know, kind of on the run from the law, that was kind of his redemption arc, giving up his life for everybody else, right? right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Lee's death, I think, serves that greater purpose. Harry, because he was there kind of for his own selfish interests, thinking mm-hmm. that there was a lot more to it when there really wasn't. I think kind of had to die so that he could so that he could have that scene with Chris where Chris says, yeah, Harry, there was gold the whole time, right? And then he could just die happy knowing like, you know, it was there for us. We're, we were going to be fine. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Bernardo, because of the kids and because of that relationship with the kids, I think he had to die because like it, it just, I think that's where Right, like if you if you jump twenty years into the future, those kids become men and good fathers and strong men as much because of Bernardo as they do their fathers. And Bernardo giving up his life for them specifically, I think, would leave that kind of lasting impact on them. Um, so I think those three, yes. I think Brit, no. I don't think Brit has to die, but because Kurosawa killed four, you have to kill a fourth, right? Mm-hmm. And Brit's the character Brit is based on is one of the four that dies. Right. And so you kill Brit. But that being said, I think Chico had to live because of his story with the woman Yeah, and deciding to basically come back to his roots and say, you know what? I am Hispanic. I am from Mexico. This is what I want to do. Right. Like I want to be a part of this community. I want to, you know, I want to make a life that's this rather than what you guys do. Right. Which when you talk about those impactful scenes, right. When they're counting out all those things, where they're saying like wife, none, kids, none. And like basically saying like, you do this life, Chico, you will not have a life. Right. And and Mm -hmm. so Chico having that realization, I think is important. And then I I think if you start the movie with Yule and Steve, basically together, you got to end the the film with Yule and Steve together, kind of riding off into the sunset together. And so it Mm -hmm. makes sense for them to to be able to do that. So yeah, I I get why they do it. Um, I think some of them are necessary. I think Brent would be the one where I would say he's probably not. Um, yeah. But I get why they do. Yeah. That was a very long and drawn out answer to a very simple and totally question. us. Um, <laughs> Quince, what do you think? Can can they do that um, without without killing I, everybody? I think yes and no. I think there are times you can leave them, and I think we'll we'll get into that later when we talk more about other remakes or spinoffs, kind of thing. And I think there are times that it is necessary. Like I think. Like Vin, Steve McQueen's character when he when he dies, I think Vin doesn't die though. Oh no, Vin doesn't die. Who am I thinking of? Um, but there there's someone that we, when someone so impactful does die, it connects with the audience a lot more. When you are connected, I, I guess Charles Bronson's character, I think his was the most impactful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Bernardo for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and so that is what audience needs even though they don't want it it's what they need to really touch home you know there are sometimes a death is necessary to connect us emotionally well and i brought this up i i don't think that i've ever kept it into the episode of the podcast before but the reason why i i hate the newest star wars star wars episode nine is because they get away with like pretty much absolutely no consequences for it so they have Sure, maybe there are some like side people who die. Um, Carrie Fisher, we already knew that she was dead in real life, and so it it just didn't really have such an impact to like, yeah, her character just kind of dies. 
but it just felt like overall there was no sacrifice on the part of of the good team like poe and finn are still alive ray is still alive she didn't join the dark side c3po who you think has has to lose all of his memories he doesn't actually because they just restore it because r2d2 has like a back like saved on him um you think that chewbacca dies for a second and then they bring him back in the very next scene and i think that that was kind of the the reason why i hated it the most and i feel like in order for a movie to really succeed and show that there have to be sacrifices on the on the part of the good in order to to defeat the greater evil and so yes i it, it's sad that we lose more than half of them in in this movie but i i 100% think that it's absolutely necessary I was gonna say on on the uh, on the topic of Star Wars. I was gonna say you didn't find Kylo Ren's death impactful at the end of that. Not at all. <laughs> Sorry, no. I can't say that with a straight face. That movie's terrible. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Sorry. Where does this fall in the greatest movies? Like top one hundred at all for, for you? For me, like I have never, I've never mm-hmm. gone through and ranked movies past my top ten. My top 10 is fairly unchanging, but if I went through and ranked my top, we'll call it 25, there is a 100% chance this makes the top 25. I will say there's an 85% chance it makes the top 20, uh, and probably a 50-50 shot it makes the top 15. Again, my top 10 is unchanging. It will always remain the same. Uh, Well, I mean, maybe something crazy will come in and bump it out, but basically it's Star Wars, Casablanca, Love Actually, Raiders, Back to the Future, Rocky, Blazing Saddles, Office Space, Top Gun, and I'm missing something and I don't remember what it is. Field of Dreams uh, are my top 10. Like that, that, will never, that will never change. That will always be the same. Mm-hmm. That being said, I, I have a hard time coming up with five movies right off the top of my head that I can say without a doubt I like better than this. So that's why I say that it's 50-50 shot to be in the top 15 for me. Yeah. But mo- for sure, be in the top twenty-five. Okay, how about you, Al? Does it make a top hundred? Man, that is so difficult. Like I'm, I'm realizing it, it should. I, I feel like it does make the top one hundred. Where am I gonna put it? Ah, uh, man, I, I'm gonna put it in like around uh, sixty for me, right around there. I would say it makes my top twenty <laughs> westerns. <laughs> top 20 westerns quince we, i need you to commit to something uh, a little bit maybe little it bit, makes quince's top 500 movies ever i i won't lie watching this it's very slow like for its time it was probably magnificent like it is but now i'm like oh my goodness just get to it and even that first quote-unquote action scene yes it made it the director did great, and the editing made it look good of making it look intense of just wag- driving this wagon up a small hill, but it was just completely useless side quest. <laughs> it's just like the the newer Magnificent Seven definitely held me stronger action wise. You know, I guess the, that's what I'm there for. It made me realize the pacing of movies has r- dramatically changed. And I've I've noted this with a couple other movies where it almost kind of feels like the resolution happens and the movie shuts off like a minute after in like these old movies where it's like here they got to the very end ta-da, and then credits. And in in modern movies, 
man, we have to have this huge like ramp up and have the the battle happening. And then the, the final villain takes up like the last like five, 10, like um, five, 10 minutes of that battle scene. And then we still have to have like a 15 minute ramp down. And what I, what I noted Mm -hmm. this movie or or Lord (laughs) of the Rings, a half hour. Uh, (laughs) And in this one, like they didn't even start the final battle until about 13 minutes until the the very end of the movie. It, It just felt, noticeably different of a pacing i don't i don't necessarily think it's bad i just think wow our tastes in film and the way that we edit them has changed so much since 60 years ago i find it interesting you say that as i think back on what some of my favorite movies of the last few years have been a lot of them have been very deliberately paced what a lot of people would watch and call slower films right my favorite movie of the year this year is dune Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Dune yet, but I that is a it. very deliberately mind. paced movie. It's two and a half hours, and I don't mind. Yeah, a and, and movie. Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which is was my favorite movie of the year, it came out, which ironically is also directed by Denis Villeneuve. Um, mm-hmm. is also a very slow movie. Um, mm-hmm. Last year, my favorite movie was The Sound of Metal, which is again a very deliberately paced kind of movie. Um, and, and so maybe for me, it's just like that's just what I like. Right, Birdman is the same way. Birdman is fast talking, but it's deliberately paced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love Birdman. Whiplash was kind of the same way, right? It's got some moments of freneticism, but it's very like deliberate in the way that it goes about what it does. Right, but they don't um, have this big, huge slowdown at the end to like kind of ease you back out and like get you feeling like, oh yeah, here's this nice resolution. Here is why yeah. everything is good or whatever. Yeah, Whiplash and Whiplash. Dune doesn't have that, right? Dune has, like you guys have seen it without spoiling yes. the movie, right? It has that <laughs> final moment. And then maybe there's like two minutes of talking and then boom, credits, right? Yeah. Whiplash has that final confrontation with yeah. Andrew and uh, Fletcher. And then credits right birdman has kind of that window scene and credits right and so i don't know what it is about it i just love it i love that very kind of abrupt sort of ending i just always have i guess i don't have a problem with that i i was actually thinking about that the other day with um i watched harder they fall and that was a great movie and i thought about that too i was like what if it in a western movie they just Whenever they shot the main bad guy, just <laughs> credits. You know, they didn't need to. Is that, that, that one? Is the harder they fall? By the way, is that the one with the Idris Elba? And okay, I haven't had yeah. a chance to see that one. The, yet, the but that's on my list. Movie. I need to watch that. So good. Okay, check it out. Yeah, I'm. I'm I am planning to watch that one oh, coming up here. Definitely on my top twenty. In your top twenty <laughs> westerns, <laughs> maybe even top five. Yeah, I'll give you a heads up. One of my favorites, and and probably my favorite. At least, and I think of like Austin's uh, story of like when they were young. Um, first cowboy movie that I can think of that I really loved was The Quick and the Dead with the young Leonardo DiCaprio um, as Billy the Kid. Uh, and Man, Russell that is, that's going back. Um, but I, I love that, that movie. That Hackman's is a good in that movie too, isn't it? Action. Yeah, yeah, and he's no, a I haven't seen that movie in a long, long time. I think I saw that. Oh gosh, I think the last time I saw that, you and I didn't even know each other yet, so it's been a while. Yeah, I, I think of westerns. I am having a hard time picking one right now. I guess I would probably 
He wants to say Cowboys versus Aliens. Dang it, Quint, you ruined my joke. <laughs> no. um, I, I guess that I movie probably, has its merits. Um, you know, within within my top five range, I would probably have uh, Kill Bill Part Two, and I would have The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So like Not those old. two would be way up there. I, I have a hard time not putting good, the bad, and the ugly at number two in my favorite westerns of all time. Can we give credit to the guy who played Lee? Robert Vaughn. This guy, he has been living a long time. And he is, his acting has changed immensely because of that. Because you see him in this movie. And, you know, this is also the issue of that time their deaths are slow you know they're like (laughs) you know (laughs) you can probably just imagine how my body's moving right now but um to that and then um (laughs) i think of the first movie that i thought of him in 1998 basketball um (laughs) as i think uh, one of the villains or whatever in that movie and just hugely different uh in acting in that uh, he has changed and evolved, and it's fantastic. You know, great for him. Yeah. yeah. Well, Quince, I do want to bring up something, ask you, since you brought up how you feel like this movie is a little bit slower moving, do you feel like the gathering segment, you know, probably the first like 45-ish minutes of the movie, they are just getting everybody, getting the crew together to like actually go to this town. Do you like that pacing of it? Do you feel like there's a movie that's done it better since then? Well, I think in the new one, it it was a lot more exciting of them gathering it. Think of like Vincent D'Onofrio of him coming down. He had been hit over the head with a rock and he just takes on those guys who try to steal his stuff and claim Mm -hmm. that they killed him. You know, Um, that was much more interesting. It it just took a long time and it just wasn't as interesting. They did do the little knife is faster mm-hmm. than the gun, and that was great. They do give preference to a couple of the characters, whereas like Lee just kind of joins in, has like almost nothing to happen with that. Um, same with Harry, where it's just like, hey, I'm getting a crew together. Cool, I'll join. But they do like give Brent mm-hmm. and uh, Bernardo a little bit better of a of a lead up. Oh yeah, I love Bernardo's. Like I did that for six hundred. I did that for eight hundred. Yeah, I don't have anything else going. The twenty dollars <laughs> right now. That's a lot. It's a great line. What do you think about it, Austin? In today's pacing, could you have cut time out of that kind of beginning section and and maybe maybe cut down some of the time you spent with maybe James Coburn and Charles Bronson to maybe add a little bit to Robert Vaughn and, and Brad Dexter's characters, Lee and, and Harry. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the reality is I, I, I think, I think they do it for two reasons, right? One is Brit and Bernardo are deeper characters in general, mm-hmm. right? Um, Lee and Harry are very kind of one dimensional characters. It's not a bad thing necessarily. One dimensional mm-hmm. characters are not always a bad thing. But you don't have to spend as much time developing a one-dimensional character. Lee is a guy who joins this expedition because he's on the run from the law and he just needs to get out of the country. Harry joins it because he thinks that going to Mexico, he can find gold and get rich. Right? Like, that's it. That's who they are. That's what they're there for. Now, you get a little more development later when Harry's like, I'm getting the heck out of Dodge. Um, mm-hmm. And then decides to come back, right? And kind of like 
more – I mean, say he saves the day, but let's be honest. He, like, shows up, he shoots one guy and gets shot. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he tries to come back and save the day, right? And yeah. Lee, who basically through that entire first fight is, like, hiding alongside a building so he doesn't be seen. Mm-hmm. And then, like, in the second fight actually, like, fights and then dies. Like, they add a little more depth later on to show that they've kind of redeemed themselves from being kind of the one-dimensional sleazebags that they are at the beginning of the movie. And I think if you add more depth to them at the beginning, it actually makes that ending of their characters less impactful. And so I like the way that they did that. Whereas with Bernardo, you have to add a lot more character depth to who Bernardo is because of how integral a role he plays with those kids and kind of training everybody and all of that moving forward. Uh, and James Coburn, you add that scene because it's just one of the most badass scenes in the history of film. Like, that's why you add that scene. Um, that scene with the knife and the duel is one of the coolest scenes ever. Uh, it might be my favorite outside of Indiana Jones. It, the Indiana Jones introduction in Raiders as he's walking through the, the jungle and, like, you see little bits of him, you see his hat, and then finally he whips the gun out of the guy's hand. That might be the only cooler scene to introduce a character I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, <laughs> and that's why you had that scene in for James Coburn is solely because of that. Cause it's just awesome. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that there's probably a few other films. Um, I, I still think that the gathering sequence and like getting everybody to work together, um, has never been done better than probably the new guardians of the galaxy. Like the, Oh yes. Like, I feel like that is, and that's a little bit different in the fact that it's more like how Mighty Ducks is or something where it's like, we have to like get everybody to work together and start like use our strengths together. Like all these people are already like pretty good with their strengths. Like there's kind of backstory that they've worked together and stuff like that. So, but they assemble everybody in Guardians of the Galaxy super well. Anyways. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So the the last little part that I want to go to is this, and that I guess I've been excited more of, is how is this influenced or what other movies? And in reality, we see that there are lots of different versions of The Magnificent Seven, right? So there is um, the newer one, of course. There is Bug's Life. That's the animated version. There is, and in my opinion, I will say this, and this would probably maybe be one of my top Westerns, if you might say, or comedy, and I think the best version of it, the three amigos, like the whole time I was watching this old version, I kept thinking of the yeah, three. Well, amigos. And the three amigos is um, specifically Calvera is yeah, it, three amigos is specifically uh-huh. a spoof of this movie. And I mean, even the music they use is like for the three amigos is, is just bits of that. And then elevated yep. in my mind. Like, uh, I, I kept wanting to sing the Three Amigos music in this. Um, and I, I love the Three Amigos. Um, <clears throat> but uh, and it, there's also a, a lot of people think of Galaxy Quest as the sci-fi version of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and there's and, also, and I, yes. think there's, is there, I think there's three sequels to this movie as well. Yes. Uh-huh. Including one of which actually still stars Yul Brenner. Yes. Uh-huh. I think that one's like the the Magnificent Seven Ride Again or something like that. Yeah, yeah, so the one that still has him is Return of the Seven. Return of the Seven, okay. Um, and then there's another one I think called Guns of the Magnificent Seven, and then the Magnificent Seven Ride. All of which get progressively worse. 
Uh, and then there is a Magnificent Seven television show as well. And it stars some guys that like names you would recognize. Ron Perlman is in that show. Michael Bean is in that show. Eric Close, who I know from about like 14 other television shows that aren't coming to my mind right now, uh, are all in that show. Like these are guys who have gone on to have like legitimate careers. Obviously, Michael Bean is, you know, and Ron Perlman probably more than all of them. Uh, and even Robert Vaughn came back and was in the Magnificent Seven television show. So, yeah, I mean, this has been a hugely impactful um, property from a pop culture standpoint in general. Um, between, obviously, the sequels, like you said, you know, kind of the genre switch type remakes, the spoofs, the um, and then obviously the legitimate remake in 2016 as well. Apparently, there is a movie with also Robert Vaughn in it called Magnificent Eleven. And it's about kind of a modernization of the Western about instead of uh, the Cowboys, it's about an amateur soccer team. Interesting. Um, I, I have no idea what it is, but you see him in it as American cool. Bob. And I, I think what is, um, you know, everybody's mentioned some more. I, I think that it's kind of crazy that there are still yet even more. There was an episode of the first season of Mandalorian where it's, a direct ripoff of, uh, you know, a it, bit, it probably yeah. follows a little bit more with the seven samurai, but still it's, I feel like this is one of the kind of essential story tropes that people can kind of borrow and use. Um, it's kind of like Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet where mm -hmm. it's just so overused, but it just still kind of feels timeless to use over and over again. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like it's a, it's a good formula that anybody can use and like it will work. Obviously it doesn't have to just be in a, in a fighting situation. If it's also going to work for like a, this magnificent 11 one about soccer, like it can, it can work for, for all sorts of things. Let me ask you this. This is the most important question out of all these remakes or influences. Does race matter? And this is about American Cowboys coming to help a poor Mexican village. It was the same with the Three Amigos, where also in the new Magnificent Seven, there was a confrontation of Denzel with Peter Skarsgård and ants versus grasshoppers. Yeah. I so when you ask, does race matter? Are you talking about, like, from a story perspective? Or, or are you story. talking from, like, a casting perspective? Story perspective? story perspective i would say no right um i think the fact that you took this from being a japanese movie into being an american western proves that race does not matter to the core of what this story is right that being said and also the fact that you took this american western that is american you know american cowboys going to mexico to protect a village and turn it into American cowboys going to an American West frontier town to stop a railroad magnet and barren guy proves that race does not matter in the core of what this story is. So no, I don't think it does. I think, I, I think 2016 proved that when remaking this movie, I think the quote unquote white savior complex idea is something that Hollywood obviously worries about. And that's, I think why they went with an American mm -hmm. town, but I don't think it matters. I don't think it. I don't think it detracts from it. I guess is the way to say it. Yeah, and just to add to it, like I feel like in in many of the films that people often poke 
poke fun at saying that this invokes a white savior complex in most of those it's kind of the like that white savior character who is kind of injecting himself into the situation um a little bit unasked for unwarranted um, right take for example um the help and so i think that it's interesting that in this one i don't feel like it necessarily invokes the same way because they like the people specifically go to these cowboys and they say hey can you help us we are looking for this we're we're looking for this type of help and then and that's when they kind of join in it wasn't that yule brenner was like looking for a town to save and like he has like some savior complex it really seems more like he is kind of joining in for these people they were soliciting his help first yeah absolutely i would totally agree with you I really like to analyze the the title. Um, so we grade it based off of just the title alone, how well it, you think it captures what happens in the movie without necessarily going into too much spoilers. What do you think about just the name, The Magnificent Seven, for this movie? I think it's a good name. I, I think had you gone with, when you Americanized this movie from The Seven Samurai, I think if you had gone with like the seven cowboys, it would be an awful title. It's an absolutely atrocious (laughs) title idea. However, the magnificent seven, I think is a good title. Um, And maybe some of that for me is because of this, of how much that name has stuck, but I think it's a very, very strong title. What would you give it out of 10? Let's go with like a seven and a half. Magnificent seven and a half out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree. I think I, I'm not sure where they exactly get the the word magnificent from, um, or what makes them so magnificent. I feel like there could probably be like a different word used in that, but like I I haven't seen the Dirty Dozen, but I really like that that the way that that one kind of has a little bit of alliteration and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there could be something else. Well, uh, I don't think they're going to call it the Super Seven. <laughs> um, no, I, I I like the name a lot, but like you said, after watching this movie, I don't know where the Magnificent Seven, Magnificent came from. And I'm glad they didn't do this. You know, like what is this? Some kind of Magnificent Seven? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm glad that they didn't say that in the movie. You know, sometimes when they say the title you want to yeah. just applause for it um, i'm i'm glad that they didn't so i i would give the title a 10 for sure because i think it's a great title even though from this movie if it was it was is the other way around like the denzel yeah the, those guys are magnificent after watching this i'm like but this is my time period compared to their time period their time period it probably was magnificent to mm-hmm. see this movie so on Vudu, they upload common sense media about the film. So it's basically trying to be fairly objective, you know, parental information so that you can decide if you want your kids to watch a, a movie or, or whatnot. So they bring in a bunch of different categories. They have positive messages, positive role models and representations, violence, sex, language, consumerism, and drinking, drugs, and smoking. So that's one category at the very end. So 
for this one, I was a little bit surprised by this. I kind of also want to gauge a little bit of interest without going too in depth. For positive messages, it says not present. Uh, what is the spanking? The spanking undoes it all. <laughs> oh man, I felt like if anything, it has plenty of positive messages. For positive role models and representation, it gives it a two out of five. And uh, okay, that's interesting like yes maybe because these guys have different uh, different aspects of about them that make them a little bit unsavory but overall i think that they're teaching a good a good thing so i would i would have given it a little bit higher violence they gave it a five out of five okay um i thought that, that was hilarious in 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 consideration with some like probably half of the gunshots where you'd watch the person get shot they just fall over. There's no like explosion on their chest or anything. And then it like pans back to them later on. And now there's like yeah. blood on their shirt. So not, not great there. Uh, obviously no sex. So it says not present for that language, not present consumerism, not present and drinking drugs and smoking three out of five. Well, I do drink a lot. Uh, that's, that's not false. I will say, I will say, if you're, like, I just based on the way that they rate these things, I'm surprised they didn't at least give like a one out of five on the sex part to because of Chico kissing the woman. <laughs> like, I'm surprised right. that wasn't included there. You know, whatever. Yeah, they're the way that they have it all set up just baffled me. Um, I had to look up a couple other movies just so I was like, okay, what is like the baseline for this? What what's a movie that both of you guys have have seen? <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> <laughs> little china <laughs> okay so here's yeah I, I i need to know now all of these answers good okay. role model for sure based off of common sense media i'm gonna i'm gonna keep track of your guys's scores independently here whoever gets closest to the right answer in in each of these categories so there are seven categories so it, it is possible um okay so we will also, just to make it so that you both can't tie on the same one, that you will take turns alternating back and forth of who gets to go first. And so if, let's say the answer was three out of five for the category, then if Austin guessed three out of five, you can't guess three out of five. You have to guess some, a different answer, Quince. Okay. okay. And we'll, we'll all okay, allow guests to go yeah, first. That's what I would have suggested. So for the... For Big Trouble in Little China, Austin, what what do you think that this received uh, zero out of five for positive messages? Let's say one out of five. All right, Quint? I'm going to go heavier. I'm going three because I have love. (laughs) Austin had great expectations, and he is correct. (laughs) Okay. Does it does it say what is that positive message? Doesn't say it. I don't know how they decide it, but. We're, we're just going to go with it. Okay. Uh, Quince, now it's your turn. Uh, positive role models and representations. Oh, my. I'm just going to say one, even though out of all the heroes. <laughs> Keep in mind also that there's the representation of Asian people in general for it as well. Oh, yeah. Hmm? Two. We'll oh, give see, it a two. I would have gone with a zero because of how they represent Asian people. <laughs> <laughs> Austin, yeah, we're going, going to zero? we're going to zero. Okay, um, unfortunately, you guys tie because the answer oh. is one. Oh. 
I should have saved my one. Hey, why are you finding one? It's for Jack. <laughs> okay, um, back to Austin. Violence uh, out of five. What, what are you going to give this? Well, the game Magnificent Seven of five. I can't imagine it isn't a five. Quince, does that mean you're going to go? I, I, well, I guess I have to go four. Uh, and Quince is lucky <laughs> oh! he wins. <laughs> Apparently, apparently, this movie is less yeah. violent than Magnificent Seven. It's because he threw the knife and then Jack caught it. It's all about the reflexes. Okay, so we've got we've got an overall tie going on here. I, I'm still claiming my one point. You, you, you're changing my mind. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll give you a half point extra, Quince. Okay, uh, okay. So four six. What what do you give this out of five, Austin? Um, I'm gonna say a th- I'm gonna say a three. All right, and Quince. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go lower because it, it really is uh, just that like passionate kiss. Um, there's a lot of vibes of him trying to get it, but nothing really happens. So I'm gonna go. You you said three. I'm gonna yeah, go three. One. Okay. Well, it it has sex at a two. So this is gonna this is gonna be a tie. <sighs> Now, Quince, you don't have to necessarily guess. You you could have guessed a two to count for two and the one. Mm-hmm. Just well, yeah. you'll get better at this game as uh, if we play it again. Oh, it's ever. Uh, um, all right, um, is it Quince? Oh, for are we play, are, are we playing? Uh, um, prices right? Yes, whoever uh, is closest. So you want to? So that that's how I'm how I'm working it. I mean, we could do like some okay. type of alternate version later on where guessing exactly on gets you more points or something. I don't know. But, um, okay. Is it Quince's turn back and forth here? No. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, all right. For language, what are you guessing this one? I'm going three. In Austin? Uh, that would have been... Is in the mail. That would have been my guess as well, but... I'm gonna say because they have an F word, I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with four. Quince got it right. It was three. So apparently, uh-huh. I, apparently, one F word is is only a three. Okay. Uh, okay. Consumerism. Uh, I guess that. I don't even know what that means. Uh, is that like product? I don't know placement? if it's like if it means like product placement or if it's just like showing bad bad versions of like being very consumerist or capitalist or something like that. Maybe consumerism is like product placement. Let's go with a two. Cause I have no idea. Yeah. I'm going to go with one. Yeah. It looks like uh, they're saying zero, not present. So Sam, like, I don't even think they ever said anything. Does, does Jack not like have like a favorite truck driving snack or something? I mean, I think, only thing I think can of is when they're like drinking beers and he he's like, okay, I bet you double or nothing I can cut this beer in half. Okay. Um, well, speaking of drugs and alcohol, then Austin. Oh, wait. Oh, I no, guess this is, all, yeah, this, this, is, yeah, this is last. I one. think we missed one for, for Austin because you should have gone four times. So Austin, oh. you get to go again on this one for drinking drugs and smoking out of five. All right, we're going to go with a four. Yeah, I'm definitely. Then if it's going closest three, I would. I would. Quince, you're right on the money. It was three. Sorry, Austin. It looks like this is Ugh. three and a half to your one. So, 
This is why I love Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> okay. This has been another game by by us. We'll see if we ever if we ever bring it back. All right, Quince. My last little section, usually, like I said, we do a, a remake recast, but because this has been done mm. often, and there's never a sequel, well, I mean, that a lot of people mm-hmm. have really heard of, besides those others that not a lot of people really watched that continually got worse. Pick any version, whether it's even the original, or the newer one with Denzel, or Three Amigos, or Galaxy mm-hmm. Quest. Plot out a sequel and who you might cast if you were going to change it or anything like that. Plot out a sequel? Yeah. So it, I'll give you my example. I, I told Al this. Um, with the three amigos, I would like to do a, a modern version of it that it's El Guapo's grandson. And you get the kid from the new Karate Kid show. And he and two other guys, you know, that could be, you know, within this. Mexican family, cousins, or whatever. They're kind of like TikTok influencers. And they see that they're losing followers, you know, kind of like an opposite version of the Three Amigos. You know, they were losing fame. And somehow they come across the Amish, um, people who don't know them for what they do or mistaken identity. (laughs) And the government is trying to take their land. And so they have to use their power and influence to save their land or their their city. Ooh. And so Okay. Okay. So I think I have the idea I would want. Um and and, and stick with me because this is gonna be kind of nuts. Okay. So what we're gonna do is basically combine it's not really gonna be a sequel as much as it is kind of like remaking the remake. Okay. So what we're gonna do is basically sequel the sequel the new movie by remaking the old movie. So what it's gonna be is you're gonna have I don't care who you cast in the role, it doesn't really matter. But Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen's characters, so Chris and Vin come back, and it is the Calvera storyline. But then Denzel Washington's character gets brought in as a member of the group that goes to Mexico. That's what I would do. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care how you kind of build him in there, what role he plays. Um, obviously, at that point, because Chris and Vin live, and you can't have him play Chico, you can't have him be the Chico character. Mm-hmm. You're going to kill Denzel, right? Maybe he plays like the Bernardo role. Well, I, I, I kind of like what you're going with is, is, is more of it is a sequel to the original, right? You still keep your, your Chris and Vin, and you still also keep, I'm trying to think of what Denzel character's name was. Chisholm. Chisholm. And they kind of just meet cross paths. And so this is right. just an Im- imaginary that they live in their primes at the same time, and so we can make this movie. You c- could do this, Magnificent Rides Again or whatever, but combine both. And they come across something else that they have to, but it, it can't be just about saving a city per se, but maybe, I don't know if, was it Billy, the knife fighter in the new, newer one? Yeah. Uh, the Asian guy. Yeah. Let's say he yeah, didn't die and maybe they go and, you know, during that same time, 
a lot of Asian Americans in building the uh, railroads because of indentured servitude. And so kind of stopping a train baron of sorts. Yeah, I think that would be great. I actually really, really like that idea. Oh, man, Ow. I'm just going back and forth on all these different ideas, trying to figure out which one would go best. Uh, since the time loop mechanic of movies has been like just so mined out lately, I feel like I want to I want to take <laughs> that and add that to the Magnificent Seven, where Ooh. they are they are repeatedly yeah they are repeatedly trying to save the city in different ways and trying to get like the one that would actually solve it. So it would play with an interesting mechanic of the time, like the time loop thing, but it's not set in like modern day. Like so many of them are it's, Hey, how does a cowboy kind of feel about like having their day reset over and over and over. And it would kind of fit in with um, Mm -hmm. a little bit of the theme of Westworld, at least for the first couple episodes of that show. But I think that it could actually have some some good potential there. Yeah, that is a that is a good one. I like it. Well, Austin, it's been a pleasure having you on us on the yeah thanks, on the guys. show with us. Sorry, and so yeah, this has been uh, the movies that move us. Thank you, guys.